welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. I'm Grace. And this week we're doing a special episode marking the passing of Nikki Lauda, where we'll be discussing Ron Howard's 2013 Formula One uh, thriller, Rush, um, starring... Been a long day. Um, it has, starring Chris Hemsworth as James Hunt, and starring Daniel Bruhl as Nikki Lauda. Lauda passed away at the end of May at the age at, at the age of 70. Formula One race car driver, three-time Formula One World Drivers Champion, winning in 1975, 1977, and 1984, uh, left an indelible mark on the sport, but is perhaps best known to modern audiences for this film, uh, Rush. Obviously, the character of James Hunt, who's played by uh, Chris Hemsworth, died at a very young age. Um, so he was not around during the production of the film. Lauda was actively sort of consulted in this. He was a very active participant in the making of the movie and very actively engaged with the telling of this story. Um, I love that. <laughs> it's kind of like... Um, yeah, because its portrayal of Lauda himself is an interesting one, like, I think. Hey, asshole. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more like this. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you, could, if you could increase it. I don't think you're quite getting my essence as a person up on screen. Uh, and actually, to be fair to, to Lauda, he's, he's been quite sort of pragmatic in talking about it. He's talked about how his one regret with the film was that Hunt never actually lived to see it. Um, and he feels very sad about it. He's also talked about, and again, this is one of those things where like most people who have their life adapted to film are like, it was nothing like that. That's a complete misrepresentation of who I am. Lauda's more pragmatic where he's like, actually, it makes for a good story. And I was a bit of an asshole, mm -hmm. but I was right more times than the film says I was, <laughs> uh, which is a very Nicky Lauda statement to make, I think. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk about this very briefly. Hemsworth is a very good uh, uh, hunt as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, this was sort of for Hemsworth. This was kind of a, one of his first big roles outside of Marvel. Because mm -hmm. um, I think outside of this... Is not counting Home and Away. Uh, yes, I mean, let's not overlook that. Is let's not overlook that. <laughs> um, like all Australians between the ages of 18 and 24, Chris Hemsworth was drafted to appear in Home and Away for at least Home one and Away season. your neighbours. <laughs> yeah, that's it, your obligatory appearances. Also, is this outside of Marvel? <laughs> is, this, is this not just Chris Hemsworth playing Well, considering Thor, Daniel as... Bruhl was also in a Marvel movie, you could be forgiven for getting them mixed up somewhere yeah. along the way. That's right. He was in. He was Zola as well, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of an interesting film. I first saw this when it was released, and I remember being quite surprised uh, because you were uh, like, "Wait a minute, this is good." <laughs> that, what? <yeah. laughs> I was a bit taken aback. No, because I, I hadn't heard much about it going into it. Ron Howard. And we're going to talk from about Happy Days. <laughs> Never expected him to make a, a movie. Yeah, or or like several movies. Yes. We're, we're and indeed, talk... many by the time he made this. <laughs> I was like, what? Opie? Opie's making a movie? He even All had right. an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. All right, Richie Cunningham. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, so I but I was not really expecting that much going into it, and I remember being very impressed when I first saw it. Grace, when did you see it? Did you see it on release? Did you see it afterwards? I saw it on release. I saw it in Luxembourg when I was living over there and I was very excited about it going into it because I do quite well I don't watch it anymore but when I was growing up I loved F1 and my brother adores it. He's a massive fan so um, it was really exciting to me to have the opportunity to see a film set within that world and especially something about one of like the really great rivalries in sporting history so um, yeah no I went to see it when it came out and I really liked it and I still really like it. I think it's great. So you, you realize you've just been drafted as our Formula One expert on this podcast. Up to a point. <laughs> Within, I can tell within... you a lot up to like maybe 2001. Okay. okay. I think that covers most of the film without getting too spoiler yeah. specific. Were My we... brother will send you angry notes if we get anything else wrong. Um, were, you, were, you, were, were, were you an Eddie Irvine? 
no. <laughs> Just no. Michael Schumacher Jackson was right Michael there. Schumacher. I didn't need anyone else. Okay. Didn't mind Villeneuve though. Yeah. But mainly liked Michael Schumacher. I um. And the great Mecca Hackenden rivalry. Those were some good years. Good it's years. Amazing. Well, it wasn't that a little. Uh, was that a little later though? Um. That's the era I remember being most involved in it. So that's what ninety six, ninety seven, maybe slightly thereafter. Right. As I recall. I think I ended up being a um, fan of, was it either Williams or um, maybe McLaren? Because my brother was a Ferrari fan. (laughs) That that seems fair. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, define yourself in opposition. Villanov raced for, um, who did he race for? He went through a few. I have a notion that he might have... No, I have a notion he might have been with Williams for a bit, and... And Williams was Renault. I'm trying to remember what color his, like, (laughs) overalls were, but all I get distracted by is the massive bald spot he got when he was still, like, really young, (laughs) and everyone used to mercilessly rip the piss out of this poor lad for this, so that's really mean. But, um, yeah, I can definitely picture him in blue and white, unless I'm completely imagining that, which would suggest it was Williams, Mm. but there might have been a stint at McLaren along the way, or was there... I think Darren is consulting the fact machine. No, no, I'm actually, I'm actually just sort of preparing the browsing notes here, just in terms of talking a little bit about Lauda, uh, and Nicky Lauda in general, because, I mean, it, we're sort of what drew just us to Just to satisfy my own curiosity, I'm just going to look Villeneuve up, but far away, far away. But uh, the interesting thing about sort of Lauda in particular is that um, he um, apparently, he flew Daniel Bruhl uh, to meet him in Brazil so that he could properly assess him, like, for the role. And... Um, so here's here's Brule's observation. He flew me to Brazil for the for the GP in his own jet. Come to Vienna first, he says. But bring hand baggage in case we don't like each other. And I have to. Oh, send I've you heard back this home. before. Yeah, yeah that's um, which is like it's good to know that the film sort of captured his essence on screen. Lauda, on the other hand, sort of like he talked about meeting Daniel Brule, and he's like, I had to ask my wife who Daniel Brule was. To be honest, she told me right away, and then I met him. Darren, you can't, you can't um, <laughs> quote him without doing the accent. It was Williams. It was Williams. It was Williams. Ah. But yeah, so like, I mean, and it's, it's kind of, he's, he was very actively involved. He spent a lot of time with Brule playing the role. It's amazing. It's, what, why do you sound like Sean? Why does he sound like Sean Connery? <laughs> that's, that's what he, like, it's because of the fake teeth in, he had in, 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 presumably. In the movie. Does that like how, how Daniel Brule plays it? He's like... It's amazing. You've got all the facilities here. <laughs> Daniel had to do a completely different accent to his actual accent, though, and in a different language. So I'm yeah. just like, come on, lads. Well, he, he was. He was actually, that was one of the things that Brule was very nervous about. No, I about love because, this. I'm not yeah. criticizing him. I love him so much. He is totally slept on in his time. Brule or Lauda? Brule. Because Brule is, obviously, Brule's German, but Lauda's Austrian. He's half German, half Spanish, to be precise. Well, half Catalan, his mother's from Barcelona. And you are now officially a Daniel Brule expert as well. I am a Daniel Uh, (laughs) Brule expert. I love Daniel Brule. But uh, apparently, one of the things he was very nervous about, as he pointed out, is the fact that he's doing an entirely different accent, which sounds very Germanic to our ears. But apparently, for him, doing the Austrian accent, in particular doing the Vienna accent, Mm -hmm. was very different from doing a standard German accent. It's much like if you're Irish doing a difference between a Cork and a Dublin accent to pick an example or even doing like an Irish and a British accent to a certain extent yeah more like I guess an Irish and a British see is there different countries yeah that's fair yeah. oh I suppose <laughs> Cork as well counts maybe it's yeah. to a certain extent a different country um, before we do do we want to talk a little bit about Ron Howard 
because um, like this is this is one of the things that's I feel like we should be singing like the Barney song whenever <laughs> we talk about Ron Howard I um, didn't realise until the end he's our friend and he teaches us things <laughs> <laughs> well this is the thing with, Ron, with, with Howard right? Howard is an absolutely fascinating director I saw it at the end credits yeah. and I was like Ron you've done it again <laughs> man can do no a, wrong his best friend is a talking pie played by Daniel Brühl <laughs> but we changed it in post um but yeah, because this is the thing with um, with Howard. Howard is a fascinating director because he's been memorably described, I think it's Nathan Rabine at The Dissolve, described him as the anti-auteur in that Howard is Talk not... Talk about damning with faint <laughs> praise. Like, excuse you. <laughs> but yeah, Howard is a director who doesn't necessarily have that same... You know, when we talk about the list, we talk about the directors who have strong followings on the list. We talk about people like Spielberg, Nolan, Kubrick, How Kurosawa. Authorish is Spielberg? Or do we just not think of him as authorish because of the influence <laughs> that sort of he's had? Yeah. And, yeah. Well, his auteur tendency is summer blockbusters. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so we don't think of... But I mean, even things like, like tracking shots. Yeah. Even tracking shots, recurring fascination with World War II, to pick an example that bubbles through. Like, Spielberg has the father, the missing father. Spielberg has his own pet themes and ideas yeah. that run yeah. through yeah. and his own methodology and stuff like that. Howard is a lot harder to pin down in that if I were to ask you, like, Andrew, what do you immediately think about when you think about Ron Howard movies? Well, he, he makes kind of Spielbergian uh, movies. They feel kind of... Someone of... somewhere just had a heart attack <laughs> when you said that. Well, no, like, as, as in... They, they're, they're very they're American. Kind of they're same... Very... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're quite kind of... Um, they generally have that same sort of sense of... Um, like, a broad audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the kind of scope of them. Like, they, 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 I, like you can imagine kind of... Um, um, Spielberg doing kind of like Apollo 13 yeah and doing yeah. it maybe in a similar way yeah as well yeah um, and even you can imagine Spielberg doing something like this to pick an example yeah. you can imagine Spielberg doing blockbusters that weren't on like say Ron Howard's Inferno trilogy to pick I don't an know how much stuff Spielberg does anymore though like he's attached to things. Yeah. But I, don't, I don't. Well, I mean, yeah. he did Ready Player One. He did the post and stuff. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know he did a lot of the kind of like um, kind of uh, uh, marketing and stuff for that. But how how? Um, well, he directed it. Yeah. yeah but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> All right then, we have no, a, we have a Spielberg I'm, truther on the podcast. Yeah. I, was just I, I feel like it seems a bit strange. I feel like Ron Howard is the equivalent of like a jobbing actor, except as a director, because he just sort of picks up whatever works and it's like I can make something solid, decent, enjoyable out of this. I may not necessarily have any hallmarks that I leave on it, unless his hallmark is to make a completely competent and very enjoyable product, which yeah. is a, a merit in itself. That, I feel. that is it exactly. Like I mean. Um, do you know that, like, Ron Howard is the seventh highest grossing director at the American box office of all time. And I say, God bless him. He's, that it, makes sense. But he's uh, managed like, to do that while giving us nothing but completely yeah. enjoyable, solid movies and not being, like, a complete narcissist yeah. behind the scenes that we know of. Or, like, a horrible, like, abusive arsehole, again, that we know well, of. Well, the auteur, the, the kind of the conception he's, of the auteur is the man who's like, like oh, suffer for your art. Yes, yeah, like, like, you need a firm, nice. safe pair of hands. I will totally do that for yeah. you. And I won't, like, get all egotistical and antagonistic over it either. Yeah, he's, in terms of ranking at the American box office, he's just ahead of Christopher Nolan and just behind Robert Zemeckis. $2.1 billion. His behind film. Zemeckis? Wow. Behind Zemeckis, and I think Zemeckis did the three Back to the Futures, which will learn you a lot as well. well and yeah, so they, they've had a massive impact. Sort of if he made nothing else, 
he yeah. would have left his mark with those movies. Yeah, I mean, it almost has made nothing. I don't know. Oh, oh, like, oh, that's oh, a bit hard. You got to spiel like and that's, the That seemed a little mean there, Andrew. No, he, like um, he he's probably. I think with Zemeckis, like he likes to sort of push the boundaries with with with, with technology him. and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, and yeah. particularly these days with things like Welcome to Marwan, which is one of the oddest films I've ever seen. Right. Um, in, in that regard, in terms of the pushing technology and stuff, he's probably closer to a Spielberg than. Yes, right. I, I would argue that else. Zemeckis is very much in that sort of mold as well. Because you know when you're watching a, a Zemeckis film to a certain extent, because it's going to be very CGI driven. There's going to yeah. be a lot of green screen mm-hmm. work in it and stuff like that. And it's probably. Sometimes it feels a bit too. Yeah, to know, a certain extent, yeah. too much that. But I mean, uh, yeah, with, with Ron Howard, though, Howard is an incredibly versatile set of hands. He can do your studio blockbuster. So he can do those, uh, was it Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and Inferno, which will make bucket loads of money, even mm-hmm. if nobody particularly remembers them, like in any real depth, you know? Or he can also do your standard awards fair. So think of like Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe as a boxer. Or A Beautiful Mind. Or A Beautiful Mind, which is the only yeah, other wow. Ron Howard film on this list, to pick an example. Apollo 13 from the 90s. He can do like popular crowd-pleasing, teenage-friendly films like, like for example, Splash. Splash. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. And let's not forget Willow. Yeah. The wonderful Willow. Yeah. Did he do Grand Theft Auto or was he just in it? I think he did come up under Corman as well in terms of that's where he sort of applied his trade. But I mean, this is the thing and I think Grace was, Grace was really onto something there in terms of Howard as a very stable set of hands because he famously did Solo and while I know Grace Which I'm really... still sitting here ready to go to bat for. <laughs> I, I and Grace, Grace is a big fan of Solo. And like, I'm not as big a fan of Solo, but what I really took away from Solo, and I mean, and this this isn't damning with faint praise. This is actual legitimate praise I'm going to have to offer here. It's weird that I have to preface it with that. But it's, this should be, given its production history, an absolute sort of like... Car mess. crash? Yeah, mm-hmm. car crash of a film. This should be like Justice League is, or this should be like X-Men Dark Phoenix is. You should see the stitch marks on this Frankenstein's monster that has been stitched together. Because obviously we know the story where where Lord Lord and Miller had been like drafted and they shot the entire movie. Oh, you're talking about Solo. I'm talking about Solo. They got to the... I thought we were talking about this one. Rush this No, no, no. No, (laughs) we will be in a second. But like, so you have like, so Solo, which was shot by Lord and Miller... They got the Edinburgh, Disney said no. Ron Howard was drafted in. Reshot 90% of the movie, which by the way is why 90% of the movie is shot in intense close-ups. Because he didn't have all the cast around at the same time. So he wasn't able to do even like standard two for setups and stuff like that. Yeah. Or wide shots using the cast. So like if you're wondering why Solo has so many close-ups of individual cast members. It's because Ron Howard was shooting it on weekends. Oh. Um, and it's remarkable because it works much better than it should i mean my big takeaway from solo is that and i apologize grace is that it's okay it's it's a bit lifeless and dull and it doesn't have any real energy driving it but like if i didn't know the backstory behind it i'd be like i imagine that went swimmingly i imagine it came in under budget on Mm -hmm. time i imagine that it it worked reasonably well that nobody had any real problems or strong feelings about it at any point in production yeah yeah. Like, I, I mean, we're not in the spoiler zone, but did you cry when that machine died? <laughs> <laughs> no, Andrew, I did not cry when that machine died. Well, no. I like that we're spinning for this sort of like every time. What's interesting, though, about Howard, and I think this kind of dovetails nicely into Lauda, and like we're going to ask about the film in a second. I wonder if 
part of like what makes Howard uniquely Howard. And like, if you were to just ascribe to him that auteur motivation, if you were to say Ron Howard is an auteur and his trademark is, is his trademark both competence and a fascination with competence? And I'm, no, 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 I'm not being facetious here. I'm thinking like, for example, the attention to detail that Apollo 13 has in terms of looking at them. like as if it's losing <laughs> all meaning. Yeah, if you were to strip everything out. Yeah. But no, like. What if, what if instead of auteur being this really distinct kind of, um, yeah, like a really distinctive unique vision? No, I don't think he like that we we we're trying to like uh, describe him as an author as a kind of like a um, as a like as a virtue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Well, I was more thinking that like in terms of looking at a grand unified theory of Howard. I think he's he's versatile. He's he's kind of shown that, and he's he's. He's a, um, you know, he's a filmmaker. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, it's been argued that he's one of the last of the old school style filmmakers. His uh, company is Imagine Entertainment, but he set up offices at Universal, which is something that very few directors do these days. Even Spielberg has moved around from like DreamWorks to Paramount to, you know, to Warner's and distributed internationally through Disney and stuff like that. Whereas Howard Nolan does mostly Warner. Nolan is yeah, another rare example. Yeah. Uh, Copy is set up at the, uh, the Warner Brothers studio office. Um, but Imagine is also set up at Universal. And it's mm-hmm. a rare example of a director who has the power to do that these days. But it's kind of like I was watching Rush and I was wondering if one of the reasons that I like Rush so much, I'll probably talk about more in the spoiler zone, and one of the reasons why I think maybe it's the distinctive Ron Howard film, perhaps, is because if you look at the structure of the story, which is the story about two titans working in their field, one of whom is a reckless, like, irascible, romantic, risk-taking, like, sort of... You're like, going up those octaves again. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, um, in, in How much alliteration can I get in here? Um, but yes, okay, so one of them is the lovable rogue, who's the protagonist in these kind of stories, the guy who plays by his own rules. He's not hugely and, lovable. He got very lucky that Chris Hemsworth plays him, and Chris Hemsworth is, I think, inherently a very likable actor. Oh, yeah. Like, you can very easily see somebody else who maybe is very charismatic um, and has a lot of presence doing that role, but who's a complete, like, insufferable bastard. Like, but imagine I- a Matt Damon in that role. You would want to flatten him. <laughs> With a sledgehammer. But I, th- I think even like uh, uh, even the likes of Chris Pine would probably like have difficulty like getting this across. And I know like I think people, Chris, people Pine like is, Chris Pine is is inherently likable as well, is, which would yeah. help. But yeah. But I, I like I I can't imagine kind of. Are we going somebody... to have to do another ranking of the Chris's? <laughs> the <laughs> ranking of the Chris's is like the three of them equally lovable up here, and then Chris Pratt like down there in the yeah and now imagine chris bog. pratt as james hunt and imagining what that movie would be like but he'd probably be able to pull it off but he'd basically <laughs> just be playing star lord but i think like okay I, I, maybe i'm reading too much into it but i think that like the fact that you watch rush mm-hmm. and like lauda who would be the villain in any other sports movie he's the guy who follows all the rules he bought his way in with money He's done research, the nerd. He <laughs> refuses to take unnecessary risks. Aaron, I sense that you're coming at this from a certain place. 
But you're like, I feel like in any other movie, Lauda would be the clear-cut antagonist or villain. How do you feel about Lauda? <laughs> well, yeah, and in, in the sense that, like, that kind of archetype fits the sort of cerebral villain that we're used yeah. to seeing in a lot of different things. Like, somebody who's just incredibly smart and detail-oriented and has planned everything to the nth degree. And has a German accent or, or, or Austrian accent yeah. as well. Like, I can I can see them fitting into those those archetypes yeah. but I, yeah but i wonder if and i've read this argued and i'm a little bit sort of swayed by it that like howard because howard is himself to a certain extent the guy who is the maths nerd the guy who's done the homework the guy who you trust to show up and to make sure everything goes according to plan the guy who's not gonna take outrageous risks based on his own ego the guy who's done the maths and determined that he's probably statistically more successful as a film director than he would be in any other field so he may as well continue to do that like part of me wonders like is this the sense like is this what makes rush such a like really good ron howard movie the sense that I can't imagine, like, if Spielberg were making this, I can't imagine having the same kind of sense of Lauda being, like, a co-lead or at least an equivalent sort of character. If Zemeckis were making it, I can't imagine, like, having that same empathy for Lauda mm-hmm. the film does. Am I reading too much into it? Am I? No, I think that's fair. I feel like there's pro- But that does come back to Howard's approach as a filmmaker. I feel like there would be a lot of filmmakers who would kind of whether deliberately as unconsciously or not see themselves in one or other of these characters and kind of inherently push that one to be more central and I can also see a very generic American approach to this where they just position um James Hunt because he's just the one who's like you know sort of the larger than life like old-fashioned in inverted commas hero type like you were saying um and pushing him out in front and just having these sort of every so often cutbacks to like this shady villain character who just emerges every now and then to just re- wreck his buzz but uh, Lauda's like fix the engine um, yeah but <laughs> but instead you have a nice sort of even-handed approach which i think is really like a saving grace for this movie because it's very easy to watch a film like this and have two men who were both kind of equally ridiculous in their own ways and oh, yeah. like yeah. to come out at the other end not actively despising both of them or at least one of them i think is a real coup and again ron howard's like inherent likability which i think sort of seeps into his filmmaking and his whole like i just have this image of him sitting there going like we can all find a way to get along and we'll all get something lovely out of this and that just sort of imbues every frame so you're like yes I see this, but I also see this. Yes. Oh God, I just don't know. I like There's a imagine, lot to think about here. I like to imagine Lord and Miller are on Ron Howard's Christmas card list. Yeah. For 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 any people who haven't seen this movie and are kind of wondering <laughs> now if they should see this movie, yes. it's not just the the. It's also like an awesome movie. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. An, an awful lot of like visceral fun. Yeah. yeah. Don't <laughs> don't think it's going to be like an evening with Ron Howard. <laughs> Um, wow! <laughs> Excuse you, an evening with Ron Howard sounds Guys, lovely. You know I bet he's what? a fantastic conversationalist. We'll, we'll, we'll have we'll have a lovely time. Hey, let, let's 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 just have some fun, okay? Yeah. It's not about winning or fun? losing. Yeah, yeah, it's about taking part. Everyone and gets you. a medal for achievement here. <laughs> and if you don't feel like participating, if you think it's too big a risk. Just pull over and it'll all work out. It's all going to be fine. But yeah, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we, yeah, we will talk about the film in more depth in a moment. So we have three questions we normally ask when we come to this podcast. So the first one is Grace. Do you think that Rush... Just belongs- Grace, that's the question. <laughs> Grace, question mark. Um, yes. But Grace, do you think that Rush belongs on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies ever made? 
See, I always find this question difficult to answer because I think to myself, like if you're looking at insofar as any list of great films can be objective, which it can't really, um, you wouldn't really think of a film like this, which hasn't really had a massive pop culture impact, you could say, as, as figuring in there or even like a more academic impact in, in filmmaking terms or film like theory terms. But then I also think films like this really capture a lot of what makes cinema so fun in that it's just a really compelling fun story that's well made and really enjoyable to watch and just it's really good entertainment and I think for that reason because any list of great films should have examples of movies that are just like that it shouldn't feel like homework yeah Yeah. exactly so I think for that reason yeah If, if maybe not necessarily this film although I do really like this film certainly the kind of film that this film represents yeah, because I, I was going to say... Something should should be on there to sort of, you know, speak to that. And this is as good an example as any. Yeah, like I, I was kind of thinking about this myself. Because I, <laughs> I, like, I would argue that there probably should be a Ron Howard or Ron Howard type film on there. Again, seventh highest grossing filmmaker of all time. Yes. He is, although often overlooked in these sort of discussions, in inverted commas, a big deal. Question is, is this the best Ron Howard film? Do we think, do we have an opinion on that? Would this be your favourite? Is this like, like you're like a, a typifying Ron Howard film? Would this be it? I like quite a lot of Ron Howard movies though and I kind of like them all equally. There's none that jump out at me as like my favourite Ron Howard movie. This is such a typical <laughs> response. Like every other filmmaker I could think of I could probably pick like at least one film that I'd be like that's my favourite one but this one I'm like I really like this film but I also really like Apollo 13 and I really like Willow and I could just Ransom's sit here and just well, like yeah. just Love list it. them all off. A lot of his movies are about you see nerds are cool yeah a valid message yeah exactly and, and not in like a creepy way that like revenge of the nerds yeah. and those 80s movies that tried to make nerds cool before this we like... too can be neat guys <laughs> yeah. sure we can be unpleasant to be around but we're generally responsible yeah. and do the work yes um i don't know why i said we there but anyway um, Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this movie belongs on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies ever made? Yeah, I, I, I think... An emphatic yeah for Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I think the grace is like, he's not going to get qualified. We're in. Yeah, to have a sports movie on this, and there are other sports movies. Like War- Warrior, Warrior, for example, a, which is one of Warrior the greatest crafts that great. Yeah. Yeah, I like Warrior a lot. It's, I mean, like... I, I will talk about Warrior. I enjoy <laughs> it. you ever need someone to talk Tom about Tom Hardy is kind of, like, interesting. Uh, Joel also, Edgerton is right there. Yes, yes, Talk yes, about underappreciated actors. There's, a, there's also some really Would cringy... Would you give him the Joel uh, Edgerton? Parts <laughs> give him a lot more than that. Sorry, this is a family podcast. Please move along. <laughs> it's a make-a-family podcast. <laughs> I do like that it's not the Hardy that we tried to make into an innuendo. I do appreciate that. It's too right? obvious. It's too obvious a choice. Um, but, uh, yeah, sorry. Before your yes was uh, cut short. Uh, would By you like seediness. To, yes, would you yeah, like to? No, have, um, have this and Warrior then. <laughs> yeah, have both. Um, yeah. Why have one when you can have both? Exactly. But no, also, and, they're, they're kind of niche sporting activities that they're representing you know yeah. they're not like football like the global game per se not like so. united passion yes which we were sorry to lose from the bottom 100 which isn't actually. even a movie about football is there a great movie about football though and it like Beckham, By, maybe yes no, no that's fair and great what's the escape to victory maybe at a push <laughs> i mean yeah. that's andrew's like what the hell yeah um, and if we... I would, it would be really cool if someone did like an actual I don't know how you do this but if it were possible to make a good 
like a really good movie about football, but like set at the World Cup or something, so you have the sense of scale to go with it. I think The Dallas United is incredible. That's Um, Michael Sheen, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but again, something that just sort of somehow managed to capture the global appeal of it, because a lot of those movies are smaller scale, which, which is like, they're all good movies in their own way, but like, I would love to just see a movie that somehow did justice to what it's like to watch a World Cup. And well, really yeah. feel like completely caught up in it. I feel like there are Gold doesn't count. To tell as well. no, gold does not count. I will. I see, Grace. I have heard your plea. I have heard your sort of request for a movie Hit me. that meets all of those. Dave Batista in Final Score. Dave Batista That's is what? compelling. No, I, 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 that's just a game. Like, Wait, is that the one? Was it Pierce Brosnan? Yes, Pierce was Brosnan the is a big West when Ham fan. When were we fan. talking about this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is the movie where like it's Die Hard in a football stadium. Yes, that where, was the description. Where Pierce yeah. Brosnan is a like is Eastern European war criminal. No, no, like uh, Ray Stevenson is Hans Gruber. Wow. Uh, Pierce Brosnan is like East is like Slavovan Milosevic if he went into witness protection, but is a big West Ham fan. Um, it's. <laughs> Like, why didn't I make it that he owns a club? Like, that was, <laughs> like having some evil oligarch who owns a football club. Yeah. Is not that, that would no one in reality that yeah. you could base that off. Like. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I would kind of, to get back to talking about uh, Rush, I would agree with it being on the list. I think I think that a Ron Howard movie deserves to be on there. Looks great as well. I, it looks fantastic. Ron, 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 Ron. Um, and I think that this is a much better choice than the other Ron Howard film on the list, which is A Beautiful Mind. I mean, I, you could argue, I'd argue maybe for Frost Nixon instead, but as you point out, there's a lot of sameness there. Like, I'd be perfectly happy with Apollo 13. You know, I'm, Yeah, I think I like Apollo 13 maybe a teensy bit more because it has the extra star washage in it. Yes. Because that is a fabulous movie for Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Not just because Kevin Bacon himself is in it, but because like four million other people that you can connect to whoever yeah, are in there. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's one of those movies that if you hadn't seen it and you don't know who's in it, you watch it and you're just like, they're in this? They're in this? Isn't Kevin Bacon in JFK? Yes. Um, yeah. well, like everyone's like, in JFK. Everyone is in JFK is another yeah. great one. Some right. people play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with the JFK handicap, which means you can't use JFK because that's cheating. Oh. But um, always remember, you can go to the River Wild with Meryl Streep and that will get you very far. Yeah. And also, what's his name? David David Strashtern? Str- I'm not sure yes, how to pronounce Str- it. Yeah. He's also a really good one because he's, he's obviously a great character actor. So. Yeah, that's it exactly. He's, yeah. So you can you can do loads with those. He even pops up in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh, Kevin. Um, but anyway, sorry. Uh, no, not Kevin Bacon. David Strait. Oh, that makes a lot more <laughs> that sense. That makes a lot more sense. Um, so but you yeah. took time out of those do, doing those horrible mobile phone ads instead. So second question is, would Rush be on your own personal list? If you were to curate 250 films that you love, would Rush have a chance of making it? I feel like it would. And like, I have absolutely no idea how I'd even narrow that down. I could probably pick like... 30 films that I really love that would be like indisputably on there and everything else I'd be like oh yeah sure unless I actively hate you you could probably pop in <laughs> you, like, you get an invite to the party yeah everyone's yeah, a winner yeah. I, I like it's a very Ron Howard approach to making a best yes. of list yes. it would be a good one to have it would be great if he turned out to be a jerk I'm now imagining Ron Howard is secretly an asshole <laughs> <laughs> no yeah I'd put it in my top 250 if one fancies a snack as well <laughs> 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 if you're feeling a bit peckish or one like maybe a whole like a Ron meal. Howard snack. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I d- definitely definitely have it in mind. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, yeah, um, great, one, great performance. Great it's very performance. very yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, 
and it typifies a certain kind of film very well as well which is that and again we talked about the ron howard film but a, a peter morgan script mm-hmm. which is like at a certain point around the success of uh, the queen he sort of came up with a new way almost of doing um sort of historical biopics to a certain extent where instead of doing this like focusing on the entire lives of characters you focus on two characters in a particular event mm-hmm. and i mean obviously all the ones he wrote that are big examples of that the you know the, the deal trilogy with michael sheen as tony blair frost nixon is another one to pick an example you could argue even i think the crown as well with the relationship between philip and, and elizabeth for example but i mean even things like uh, elvis and nixon starring michael shannon as elvis presley um, oh, wow. Yeah, unfortunately it stars Kevin Spacey as, as uh, Nixon, so it didn't have quite the impact that everybody expected it to have. Um, yeah, the timing of that release was not ideal. But I mean, you, films like that, to pick an example, um, and sort of like it typified an approach to telling these sort of stories in the early 2000s, which is kind of interesting. And I think it sort of it merits sort of acknowledging in that sense i don't know if rush is the best of them i might go with frost nixon instead or i might go with the queen because the queen is pretty great to be honest yeah. um, i like the queen a lot yeah uh but yeah um but it wouldn't probably wouldn't make my own 250 i'm afraid to say um alas but uh, finally if people have not watched rush already and we haven't put them off with this discussion of a movie that is an ode to confidence and coloring within the lines, following the rules and playing the percentages. I'm not and not being ashamed that. of your teeth. I think Darren might have like attached. Uh, there are, uh, there's also race cars. We're going to be asking after the break. So Darren, all right, Darren, what does this uh, movie mean to yeah. you? It's like. Well, I think it's the importance of being safe. Yeah. <laughs> Not taking unnecessary Always weighing up the odds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Grace, if people haven't seen Rush already, mm-hmm. would you recommend that they pause the podcast, run out, watch it, come back and listen to the rest of the podcast? Yeah, totally. For many reasons. In, in addition to everything Darren just said, there's also fast cars and boobs and drugs yes. and, you know. <laughs> and shirtless Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, there, there's something here for everyone. Yeah. Assholes. <laughs> no, Andrew. <laughs> Maybe not quite everything. <laughs> not, not, not quite. Yeah. But what about yourself? So, would you um, recommend that people watch it? Yeah, don't don't run out um, and watch this. Watch check, <laughs> check check if it's on your 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 television. See if see 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 if see if you can like catch it on a stream. Run, service. don't walk to your television set, <laughs> exactly. and if not, run, don't walk to your laptop or whatever you use to stream it on. Yeah, oh, be careful. Or just guys. your phone. In fact, you don't have to move. Just pick up your phone. If you're listening to this. You can probably watch this movie. Have the capacity movie. to yeah. watch yeah. at any time, and I would agree with that assessment. I think it's fantastic. It was one of my top ten movies of 2013. I think it may even have come in the top five as well. So no, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend it, and I'd say rush out and watch it. Oh. Hey. Hey. He went so there. Join us on the other side of the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. <laughs> I clapped. So great. <laughs> Grace is very excited to be on the other side of the spoiler zone. <laughs> so, so so great. Oh yes, you should put in like a sound of a car going by. <laughs> so so. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know why that sounded like a guitar, guitar. yeah, yeah. Uh, but grace what is rush about for you grace well. duffy explaining the movie <laughs> <laughs> we can't tell quite what our answer is going to be from here but you can see the crowd is going wild from the attention it's very clearly an important one are you all right yes yeah. <laughs> it's been a very Finish. long day <laughs> 
I was going to say it's about uh, two men who very much need a special hug with each other, but that would be too simplistic. No, it's not about that. Um, I'm thinking of Top Gun. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, a different, different kind of special different. hug. Is, a... What other kind of special hug is there? I'm not sure the characters in this movie need a special hug. No, they hug. don't. I, it's just that last scene. I was th- sitting there and thinking, you know, in any other movie, this would come across as vaguely homoerotic, but here it's totally not. It's entirely platonic. <laughs> and that in itself is something to be celebrated. Yeah. The platonic male friendship yeah, a beautiful yeah, thing Darren. one one very kind of you know um, safe controlled <laughs> another sort of devil may care plays uh, by his own rules yeah. shows up on his own schedule yeah, maybe they just need to have a hug yeah um, if this were a rom-com what? environment like that that's the kind of setup you'd be working with i i yeah, well, I'm not quite sure I get what you're talking about, Andrew. I don't think what... Are you describing the film itself? The film, The film, yeah. definitely yes. talking about the film. Um, anyway, no, to give you a serious answer. <laughs> I think um, well, this is a very... Follow-up ve- question very quickly. Yes. Well, wait, wait, hold on. Let her answer first. I was going to say... <laughs> don't, don't wait for the translation. Um, do you think that Rush could be improved with a shirtless volleyball sequence? I mean, what movie couldn't be improved with a shirtless volleyball sequence? What are we missing from the MCU if not shirtless volleyball sequences? Yeah. Are Everyone gets big, huge, stinking assholes. Hyper ripped, and then they have to it's like strap Put them all into off. these stupid <laughs> costumes where you can't see anything. Every it's ridiculous. Every movie needs a shirtless volleyball yeah. sequence. I mean, Schindler's List. That's is... just the one, exactly the one I was thinking of. Like, there's where a bit the volleyball the could be in color kind of and everything thing. else is black and white. Um, the, the red volleyball being best. Yeah. Uh, in case listeners can't tell, myself and Andrew are dreading the day that we have to talk about Schindler's List. Um, but anyway, sorry, Grace, you're going to... Before Even I'm off. just picturing trying to talk about Schindler's List and I've only watched half an hour of it. <laughs> I think we did an okay for a, a job of With Hotel, Hotel Rwanda. Rwanda. Yeah. Until we degenerated into Nick Nolte impressions. Nick Nolte! <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> That's mad, Ted. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Grace, you were saying... What was I saying? Oh, yeah, so... Sorry. Um, this, to me, is a very interesting look at ambition and rivalry especially in the sense that like i was saying it manages to make it something that is much more i don't want to use the word compelling but like this is not the type of movie i felt personally where like you're actively rooting for one over the other i think Mm. you have like the way it's been pitched is that you can see the merit shall we say of both of their approaches and kind of root for them equally and their point of view and i think that's a really interesting way to come at rivalry and ambition instead of sort of the all guns blazing approach that people have sometimes in films and in other forms of storytelling where they're like oh in order to succeed you must be like a person or you must be awful to every single person around you not that there wasn't some of that going on but um no that the bohemian rhapsody approach yes that too you're a legend hunt (laughs) and i think generally kind of for for a movie to work dramatically you would Mm -hmm. you'd like you'd be trying to get the audience behind one or the other yeah i think that this movie is is so kind of like incredibly deft and like i i and when 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 there was a question of 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 who was going to win at the end i i i I wasn't rooting for like one over the other Mm -hmm. i think it's it's quite like even-handed and kind of strangely sensitive in one sense because i think it does a lot of good work in contextualizing why they are the way that they are like even when you have that scene between um hunt and his um ex-wife where like he's being an absolute 
prick to her and then this you, is over lunch is it or yeah like, and she, and she like you could have a big like sort of fight scene there where it all just like it descends into screaming and name calling and she just looks at him and says like you're not like a terrible person you're just who you are right at now this moment, yeah. which is almost like you know the historical voice saying yes you were not like an ideal person to be around right now and you're very like just mean and like downright cruel in many ways but it's just like the situation and the person that you are at this moment yeah like it's this is not the totality of your personality kind of thing and not the totality of how you'll be judged by history and i always found that kind of approach interesting because it's sort of instead of having a moment where you have him like sort of go through all of this crap and then like very visibly learn a lesson or something it's Mm. just like saying okay this is how we may come across right now but it's not always like this sort of thing you'd wonder if a little bit of that stemmed from the fact that he's not around anymore yeah yeah he's, like he's so yeah you don't want to come out as being too critical and somebody who's no longer with us and we'll never see this film and, yeah, so and we'll never have a chance to say it and also particularly if you have somebody like loud involved it should be noted actually that louder and Hunt actually got on reasonably well. The film sort of, again, and, and louder. Well, I think it, the movie gets that across. Yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. Like they lived together in London for a while while they're doing Formula 3. Good really? Good example. Yeah. Imagine they what that house together. was like. Yeah, can you. Because well, yeah. why not put some of that in the movie? That's, uh, and then have them like fall out. And, you know. You didn't take the bins out again? <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, well, no, that's it exactly. As somebody pointed out, you can imagine Lauda and Hunt living together and you know which one of them always ended up doing the dishes. Um, but yeah, and he was talking about how like, and like Lauda himself has been like, I'm not as straight-laced as the movie makes me seem. There would be times when I would go out drinking with James and we would both go back to the apartment and have sex. Not with each other. There were two <laughs> other people involved. Um, which is great. I love Lauda. He comes across very, very well. <laughs> There's a certain candor that can only come from being a Germanic person. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's I love him so much in this movie because it's like, oh, you, you, you think it's funny that I'm um, like a rat. You, um, What's wrong with a rat? Rats are resourceful. <laughs> They're survivors. They have very strong survival instincts. Yeah, like, so when you call me a rat, I am complimented by that. Yes. <laughs> it does not bother me. Um, and you can see him standing there just going, You're such assholes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there was a swear word. Um, no, go for it. Go for it. Awesome. We'll cover it in post. There's the mo- moment where, like, Lauda gets, you know, after he's driven the Ferrari for the first time, he's, he's like, This up. car is a piece of. <laughs> it understeers like crazy, and the rate distribution is a disaster. It's but amazing. it's a Ferrari! It's amazing. All of these facilities, and you make a piece of crap like this. <laughs> yeah. It's- it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, there's no Ferrari. The Ferrari's in my mind. <laughs> but yeah, like, and it's, it's kind of amazing. Or the bit where the the conversation. I have a great ash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, how do you know all this about the car? My ash. <laughs> I have a great ash. Yeah. I love the idea my that loud as one script contribution was like, yeah. make sure you mention I have a great ass. Yeah. Um, oh, that is an important skill to have though that's like princess and the pea style like oh, yeah. she could feel the pea yeah. he would feel the pea and you feel the pea <laughs> feel the pea um, <laughs> but I mean there, there is like this is the thing with like and again Lauda and I really like the presentation of Lauda because there's a tendency as Grace pointed out in these sporting movies in particular to present like what you're doing as a calling or a profound need or like something that's existential. It's like, yeah. you know, that whole sort of stereotype of, well, what are you if you aren't this thing that you're doing? And like, I, and Hunt is kind of that to a certain extent where he has 
the big opening monologue while he's sort of making out with Nursie or Gemma to her friends. Or he's like, you know, I have a theory about why women like to sleep with race car drivers. It's, because, it's not because they respect what we do. We just drive around in circles. It's because we're close to death. And yeah. it's sort of like this almost profound philosophical explanation and justification for yeah. what he's doing. And I love that when you get to Lauda, Lauda is in the car oh, with... Wait, wait a second. We should ask Grace, like, how spot on was he? <laughs> I'm not a million miles from the truth, but in this in this situation, I would say the, the, like, the balance is very much in favour of Lauda because underneath the teeth and the hair, it's Daniel Bruhl, who's a really good ass. Babe. Like... <laughs> Duh. This was very much like uh, Brule's. I suppose the Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth, honestly, <laughs> does not do it for me personally. Yeah. But right. wow. very many other people would appreciate Chris Hemsworth. No, because he's still Kim from Home and Away to me. And I'm just like, oh, Kim. Remember no, when you crash landed on a up. desert island and got mumps and turned infertile? Oh, it's very dramatic. It's very dramatic. Home and Away is great. <laughs> it's awful, but it's great. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, but the thing I love about that is that you have that contrast between like Hunt who's like, I need to do this to exist. He has the big moment where he gives the speech at like the, and again, this is the thing where. You know, he's like, and I, um, I, um, I like driving cars and yeah. women want to have sex with me because of that. So I'm going to continue doing it. Um, this is a profound his, observation his kind of line yeah where he's accepting like his award and he's like i mean i have a hot head an inability to tolerate discipline i fall out with people left and right the only creatures i've ever really loved or have treated honorably are budger budger guards budgery guards budgery guards yeah budgery oh okay cool just call them budgies uh, so in any normal area of life i i would be or am a total liability the only thing I've got going for me is that I'm quick in a car. So it's very much this like statement of purpose for him. It is what he is. Yeah. This is what he does. He also comes from money. Which, you know, the vast... If like, I didn't drive a car, I'd probably, you know, get by okay. Yeah, I'd be in prison if I didn't drive a car. Like, if I came from a lower ca- class, I would be in prison. But I mean, what I This is it. one of those sports that just attracts rich people. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, tennis. I love that, like, and then you have, like, Lauda, who's in the car with Clay when they're going to the party in Italy. And Clay gives this speech about, which is why we are prepared to risk our lives for this sport. And Lauda's response is, not me. If I had more talent and could earn better money at something else, I would. Which I absolutely adore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, um, what does he say as well? It's like, um, no, you're... You're being the asshole because I'm better than you and you can't deal with it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like um, no, yeah, because because Clay's like, do you really think you can do this? Do you really think you would come in and just swallow up ahead and win these races? And Lauda's like, if you can, I can. And Clay's like, you know, are you ever not an asshole? And I was like, why am I an asshole? We know by now I'm both quicker than you and better at setting up the car. You can't deal with it. You're the asshole, <laughs> which is great. I mean, there's also even the bit where like Hunt after Lauda wins or after Lauda sort of gets him disqualified, where they have the conversation where Hunt's sort of where Lauda's like, you're just a charger and a party guy. That's why everybody likes you. And Hunt is like, try saying that and tell me you're not jealous. I love Lauda's response. Why would I be jealous? Think about it. All that affection, all those smiles, sign of disrespect. They don't fear you. Whereas compare that to me, <laughs> which is great. I go to work, I kick ass. Then after the race, I go home. He's great though. He's yeah. like, 
I love the whole exchange he has with his future wife in the car where he's just like there's absolutely no reason for me to drive this car very fast and she's like I'm asking scene. you to yeah, yeah. like you're not very good at this aren't there's, you there's no risk or incentive here yeah, yeah so why would I why would I increase the why would I increase the risk it's yeah the and then the two Italians in the back just having the whole time with their lives just like oh my god Nikki Lauda is driving my car I also yeah, love Nikki it's a piece of awesome. It's a piece of awesome. but if you would drive it, oh. I also love the um, the sequence where, like, when they're getting married, and Lauda gives his big romantic speech, yes. which is, <laughs> you know, I'll be terrible at this. Mm-hmm. Buying flowers, holding hands, probably won't even remember your birthday. But I guess if I have to do it with somebody, it'll probably be you. I love her reaction to it, though. It's like, my God, I'm a poet. <laughs> Alexandra Maria Lara. Also, I quite like um, the secret. You know, so you know when Lauda gets his face burned. Um, yes. And when his wife. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> Young love to face burning oh, yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, no, I do now remember, remember it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when Marlene comes in and sees him and sort of like stares stoically at him, in real life, Marlene, <laughs> my wife fainted when she first saw me, so I knew it could not have been good. I wondered, is this really the way that I look? When you get older, the scars and lines get lost and you just get used to it. And I love that it's like, I remember what happened that day. I expected her to tell me that everything would be all right and that she still loved me, but she passed out. It didn't help at the time. Other than that, it didn't really affect things. We went on to have two sons. Oh, that's amazing. amazing. I love that. (laughs) You can actually just see him lying there going, oh. You're such assholes. Yeah. All right. Nurse. (laughs) But I mean, I do love that the film sort of transposes that moment to hunt. Because it's like he has that moment with Hunt where Hunt kind of sees him and gasps. He's like, oh, it's really that bad. Mm-hmm. So I like that it's very much like, well, somebody close to him has that reaction. Yeah. And he kind of takes a moment to says, ah, I really do look. Yeah, I, I like that Hunt beats someone up for him too. Yes. That's very oh, really which is lovely. That's like, you know, almost a high school thing of like, you know, nobody hey, with my brother but me. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the boy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just in terms of sort of uh, louder as well, it's worth noting actually um, <clears throat> I love that like again in terms of again this, this comparison between Howard and, and, and Lauda and this idea of Howard as a technician where he's talking about like I love that Howard has been interviewed about his time on Happy Days mm-hmm. and he's given some very Lauda-esque answers where he's like I can't imagine Ron Howard being even remotely as acerbic no no he's not, he's <laughs> as, not as acerbic time. but there's a, the same sort of like you know, I witnessed the same things happening during... He's talking about, like, the, the sort of hedonism of Formula One. Okay. And he's saying, yeah. I witnessed the same things happening during happy days. It was the 70s. In the 70s, yeah, yeah before the lifestyle proved unsustainable. Total unsustainable? Band- what a beautiful way to put it. <laughs> like, you can't go your whole life snorting coke, lads. It's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Ron Howard is the grown-up oh, in the no. room. Yeah. Um, total, total abandon and hedonism were encouraged and celebrated, he says. Howard laughs when asked if he indulged. I was already with Cheryl... And I was very focused, happy, and contented. I love when it. When it was fun to observe the party, while it was fun to observe the party, I can't say I was the James Hunt of the situation. 
which again I quite like in terms of Howard. How does anyone not love Ron Howard? <laughs> I literally cannot bring myself to like, say. Like, can you just imagine having him over as like a dinner guest and you ask him something like that and he just sits there and kind of like knowingly chuckles and like swirls his wine and goes, I can't say I was the James Hunt, but it was fun to observe. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, amazing, amazing, Ron. <laughs> the cocaine proved unsustainable. Yes. <laughs> I took my family and brought them up in a farmhouse in the middle of the country, but oh, those were the days. <laughs> But yeah, no, like, I mean, and I absolutely love that the film is unapologetically about Lauda as a nerd. Because he first, like, he wins, not necessarily, the film doesn't pay, the film pays surprisingly little attention to the actual racing and driving outside of three races. So there's the, the one where, yeah, the, the Green Inferno, actually, the, yeah, the, yeah. Which is, the one they call the graveyard in the film. Japanese. Yeah, uh, the Japanese one as well. And then there's the one where, like, he's without his first race back as well. There's a bit of potential in that. But mostly, like, the film tends to convey information through graphs. So it tells you, like, you see, you see a bit of racing and you see, like, first place Lauda, second place Hunt, for example. Brazilian Lots of Grand the checkered Prix. flag. Yeah, that sort of thing. And there's a, not a lot of attention on, like, car wheels in motion and sort of like rain splashing outside of the key well, sequence. Does it, it does, it does it well. very well. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, well. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was worried at certain points that like, oh, you really need to see a car race yeah, at some point in this. Yeah. Because yeah. you cannot do yeah. a yeah. certain movie and not um, yeah. have that yeah, like for those poor plebs well, I mean, out there who've never watched an F1 race and don't know what they're missing when you say a big budget one it's worth noting the budget on this was only 53 million dollars again how can you not love Ron Howard yeah, he takes that like what in this day and age is a I'm an tiny ass budget That's and la turns la in basically yeah turns in this beautiful piece of work like chef's kiss love Ron Howard and Universal wouldn't give him the money for this which Obviously. is outstanding Universal who like <laughs> Just dangle a fiber in front of him. Hey, we have some notes. How about you make it, except it's NASCAR? <laughs> It'll play very well it's in It'll play very well how this Brule kid would you dub him in post yeah. like we're thinking like a Texan we're thinking like a David Hitchner sort of thing let's just get Josh Brolin in here <laughs> oh that would be amazing I, would, I could imagine yes I could imagine NASCAR rush with Josh Brolin as like you call me a rat <laughs> <laughs> am I supposed to be insulted <laughs> by this you're driving an illegal car <laughs> why does he sound like you know, Seven Night Sam or the prospector from like Toy Story 2 um but like even then, like the film pays a lot more attention to like the mechanics and the gears. So you get those shots of inside the engine with the little flaps moving as well. well oh the yeah. And process. by the way, that's definitely um, uh, drawing uh, some connection between like the engines going. And, uh, <laughs> where are you going with this? Yeah, I think I know and, where Andrew's going with this. And Hunt having sex. <laughs> I was so hoping you were going to talk about like neurons firing and loud no, his brain or something. He's getting the ride in the like in, in the toilet. But literally the and figuratively. And then, and then like immediately it shows like the pistons just going up and down. This is like, the end. He's getting an adrenaline boost, y'all. I, I love the idea because yeah, he's looking like in the mirror. Like, oh yes. Room, room. Yeah. <laughs> I love the yeah. idea that, like, we talked about Ron Howard as, like, a very old-style studio director, like, having his office at Universal. But, like, we're talking about him now like he's a Hayes Code director, where yeah. it's like, there's a train going through a tunnel. <laughs> except except somebody told him at some point he could actually show Hunt having sex as well. He's like, okay, I guess we'll do that. This is all very tasteful. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the weird moment with the stewardess where he's looking at his own reflection in the mirror, which was very you intense. You don't do that? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sure I You haven't, do. like, installed a mirror on the roof above your bed? 
I have a photo of yourself next to the bed. Yeah. <laughs> Wondering no, why like I... the Timothy Dalton photo from Hot Fuzz. Yes. Yeah, with the smiling face. <laughs> yeah. A weird moment where Hunt is, yeah, he's in the bathroom and the camera sort of pans over to the mirror where Hunt is very intensely focusing either his performance. The... Yeah. Either at himself. He's got that sort of line in his throat and everything. Yeah. Or staring through the camera and making his mark on your soul either, depending on how you're choosing to interpret that. Like, are you okay, hon? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but snakes, hon. But yeah, well, I mean, like, again, this is the kind of cliche thing where, like, you have that link between driving and sex and between sports and sex and performance and sex and stuff like that. And again, you know, you have that sort of, like, heterosexual bromance between the pair of them. And I think that it is, in large part, I think that it is much more asexual than you mentioned like Top Gun would be another male rivalry film where it's a lot less like explicitly heterosexual. Because in Uh, Top Gun they actually Person, this is just left to yeah. But Top Gun also has lines that are literally like the list is long and distinguished, so is my Johnson. <laughs> but like you have this sort of like sublimation of sort of desire or sexual function or like expression of it in this car driving. Like it's telling that Hunt is introduced having got an injury. Yeah. And everybody assumes immediately that it's a from a Formula One thing. It's like I thought you were a driver. I am a driver. Uh what happened? I was injured by another driver. We had a difference of opinion. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's it's a it's his infidelity. It's his sex that gets him in trouble. He isn't like hurt in a car crash or a car wreck or what you would like, expect a driver. He, he, they could have played like the bad touch by the Bloodhound Gang in the background. <laughs> he's, he's having sex with like the wife of a Formula Three driver. Yeah. Like, well, you got to start somewhere, and yeah. <laughs> you don't you get to a supermodel like Lizzie Watchmacaller overnight. You have to work your way up. Yeah. Yeah. You have to earn Olivia Wilde. <laughs> Um, I was thinking and then, like is he got a girlfriend already that was a bit quick like are we <laughs> supposed to see him like kind of being this playboy kind of person but we get to see plenty of that yeah yes. I mean well I also like the fact that you have um, Gemma, Gemma who's played by Natalie, Natalie Dormier um, who's around for like a couple of scenes and then just disappears with no she's reason she's an exposition <laughs> girlfriend because <laughs> yeah. it's like explain to me what's what, happening what is Formula yeah. One what yeah. are these things how oh. does all this work what is a car <laughs> yeah <laughs> Why does this uh, seat have four wheels on it? But it's like, well, I'm glad you asked, Nursie. Why is there um, like a turning thing? <laughs> but um, yeah, but I like that she's there. And Where's she's... the boot? <laughs> but I like that she's there and she doesn't show up afterwards. So you get like, you get that sense of oh, yeah, yeah, him as like shifting some other guy yeah, at the, at at the, the award ceremony. ceremony. And yeah. it's just like, Gemma's gone. <laughs> we don't talk about Gem anymore. Because there was a moment where like at the table, I was wondering, is that Natalie Dormer? Because she's kind of, she's blonde like Natalie Dormer is in this one. Nope, no, it's not. Uh, but I think that's a very effective way of communicating without being like as overt or crass as you might otherwise yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, the and Plus again, the, that that nudity is very tastefully done. Yes. Oh yeah. It's the, not the, like voyeuristic. The stuff with or... Lauda and, and his wife. Uh, his, yes. His, his wife as well. Marlene, and, then, yeah. and then the next, like later, that is <laughs> like happiness is the enemy. <laughs> While I staring out that. the window into middle distance. Or he's just like, oh, <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. 
But it's like movies are a distraction. <laughs> yeah. But I love that the film even gives you that with Lauda, where Lauda's swimming with her shirtless and chasing her into the house and upstairs to the bedroom and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like even Lauda is not explicit. Even Lauda got the right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even yeah, Lauda's like, not asexual. That's, that's yeah. the thing. It's yeah. like the movie sets this up as kind of like. Um, uh, <laughs> is hunt, he thinking hunt, about cars when he does is this kind of uh, <laughs> out of control playboy sex machine, yeah. kind of uh, sex machine, and, and then. If like um, Lauda he married uh, Marlene House. Yeah. Like this, like a, a gorgeous kind of. Was she like a dancer or 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 like a? I think she she had like this sort of. I tried to look it up earlier and couldn't couldn't find anything. But I was why am I not surprised that the first thing I was, that you looked up was Nikki <laughs> I, I was uh, I was listening to on the radio them talk about her. She was like this very kind of artistic. Um, person and they were very different um her her herself and nikki and apparently she 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 was horrified that he wanted to go back to uh to racing, to racing as very, you would very be very difficult thing to explain to her yeah she thought like oh thank god you're okay um what are you doing <laughs> it's <laughs> only been a couple of weeks you're, you're getting back into the car um oh. <laughs> it's not where i saw this going yeah, yeah exactly let's be real but again, like, I think that speaks to how the film works so well. That again, in another film, you would have Lauda as the nerdy villain. The guy who's like trying to bring in book learning to something that you can't teach. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know why I did that accent there. But you get the impression. Like, if Hunt would be like, well, I ride using my instincts. And Lauda would be like, no, 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 you ride using the measurements. I love, I love the end when he's, he's like, please, please don't bring in the percentages. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. <laughs> Nikki, you're killing the you're sport. Killing the sport, <laughs> Nikki. Lauda would be one of the Moneyball guys. Yeah, it's not about percentages. It's about cigarette packets driving around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lauda is like the equivalent of, you know, when you hear that expression, like behind every great man in history is a woman or something. Lauda is like the equivalent of that in this movie because James Hunt is like, I did all of this because I'm just fucking amazing. And Lauda is like, someone had to build that bloody car that you're sitting in and optimize it and make it the best piece of machinery it could possibly be. It wasn't just you and your flipping fingers and toes that did this. That's exactly God like damn it. it. I love that Lauda, like when he shows up at Ferrari, he's like, uh, are you using magnesium? Parts. And uh, they're like, uh, no? what? Yeah, uh, that's a PRM. That's right. That is yeah. a PRM. Yeah, that is a PRM. Sorry, but like, I love that it's it's and like you'll have, to, you'll, you'll have to get it to 450 uh, horsepower. Five hundred. It's like five hundred. Yeah, yeah. What's it at now? Four ninety. Uh, three hundred and fifty. It's like well, you'll need to get it to five hundred. Yes. Uh-huh. And you're going to need to lose forty pounds off the engine. Now. Yes. <laughs> Which again and and again, that's the thing where it's like. He doesn't race because he has an instinctive understanding of it. He races because he's put a lot of thought and care into it. He's yeah. like he's done the maths, he's done the figures, he's sort of done the calculations, done the homework on it. Yeah. Like again, Lauda spends more time my, in the pit. I, lo- I love the fact that he's like my 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 parents were really were wealthy people and bankers, but I never could have done that. I, <laughs> I drive cars now. Let me take a very specific, uh, systematic approach. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's I, no way I could apply this to something yeah. else. But I, I think that <laughs> I, I would have suffered inside a cabin. I would have been bad yeah. at anything yeah. other than this thing that I'm amazing at, but yeah. not because of talent, because of hard work and yeah. being very kind of. I'm just, I'm just an ingenious engineer, basically. Yeah. But I, I kind of like that, and I think maybe one of the things that's so satisfying. 
satisfying about this movie is that it seems to acknowledge within the persons of these two that it takes two things fundamentally to succeed at any sport right. or indeed endeavor you need to have like a strategy which in this case is represented by optimizing the car but you also need to have someone who just has like the gut basically instinct to mm. make it to, to drive it as best as it can which could apply to everything like you could have like a football player for example with tons of innate talent but they still need a team and a strategy structured around them and yeah, similarly and, and in that even kind of moment of inspiration to yeah like do something a little bit um kind of different that can yeah. make so, the difference where, where 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 the standard kind of uh, moves don't uh, cut mm-hmm. it, I guess. yeah yeah I mean, it's worth noting even in terms of that balance that exists. Like, again, we talked about how the film acknowledges that Lauda has a sex drive, for example. And Lauda has, like, it's it's not a clear binary or dichotomy between the two. It's worth noting that even Hunt himself is shown to be relatively studious. He's not particularly studious or definitively yeah. studious. But, like, he's lying on the ground. He's introduced to Olivia Wilde. He's lying on the ground so visualizing the track. Yeah. And there's a camera so pan over scene. notes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Camera pan over notes. He's rehearsing the body movements and stuff like that, working on muscle memory. And you get that sense again of like, in many movies, particularly sports movies, it's hard to, it's, it's like songwriting when we talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. It's very hard to portray like innate understanding or innate ability on screen. It's also like, very hard to, to get across kind of like, how did these people become married? She walked into the room and they had a conversation and next thing they're married. That's very movie. Yeah, it is very, very short and very Hollywood short. But it it works. Maybe if you married me. And and I love that I love that like the scene goes on for like a second or two of silence while the wedding bells sound before you cut. So you can see him like throw back his head as if to laugh. Which is probably the best. He's like, wait, you're serious. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, she said yes. Is this a legally binding contract? I I don't know if only I could ask like a solicitor like my sister or something. Well, I guess I'm not doing anything else today. (laughs) So I have this nice suit that I could put on for us to get wed. Yeah. For like the year and a half or whatever it was. Until until she left him for Richard Burton. Yeah, so it really wasn't too bad. Like <laughs> it wasn't uh, like Elton John's wife. <laughs> where, um, like, like uh, yeah, so she, 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 she was with um, uh, James Hunt, and then she was with Richard Burton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Caught him between Liz Taylor. Yeah. Between um, Liz Taylor's. Between, even he he took the breakup really well. <laughs> did he? Yeah, did the, he? Like the, I mean, the, the press conference, the, the, the press conference the press, didn't seem particularly like, magnanimous. To be mm-hmm. fair, not very magnanimous. No, but but uh, no, he was saying kind of like, oh, we all got something out of this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be very passive aggressive here. Yes. Um, well, you say he took it rather well, Andrew. <laughs> he did take it rather well. Yeah. As he well was, as can be expected in the circumstances. Clearly, he was the bigger person of the set. No, he wasn't very magnanimous. No. But, uh, yeah, he, 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 he didn't seem terribly upset about the whole thing. And then he had like replacement therapy immediately. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that made him marginally upset for a short while was the notion that he lost something. And then he yeah. quickly realized that he didn't care about losing this particular something. Yeah. And yeah. so he moved she on. She was so right as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you, you thought this was like a good idea for you, but it's not. Like yeah. You, you're... This and is I not do like I like are. that they portray her that way. They don't make her this sort of like why stereotypical screaming harpy, like "Why don't you love me?" sort of thing. Oh, She's yeah. just like, yeah. you know what? We both done goofed here. 
You yeah. just because you're an idiot who'll go along with anything clearly. And me because I expected something that didn't deliver. Let's just go our separate ways. Whatever. Oh no, like it's very clear during the marriage scenes that of the two of them, Hunt is the particularly least pleasant one. Yeah. Where yeah, she's yeah. like, hey, would you like to go skiing? And he's like, why don't you go to New York and sell some vapid cosmetics? Yeah. I have to do important things like driving a car really fast in a circle. Because I'm a dick. A stranger would ask me if I wanted to go skiing. When they knew I didn't have a drive. I don't have a drive. <laughs> why, why does he sound like Ray Winston? Give me a drive. <laughs> drive. Where's um, my drive? Uh, <laughs> Dude, oh. where's my drive, eh? <laughs> yeah. um, but like, and again, is it worth talking about Hemsworth? Because like, again, this is, this was, first of all, well, this was Brule's big sort of breakout role after Inglourious Bastards uh, in terms of international cinema. Because he had that role mm. in Inglourious Bastards where he was the sniper character. Well, he was the nice guy. Out, like, uh, uh, what kind of um, big stuff is he? Like, aside from this, uh, like, I guess Zola in the... In, in the, the uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't play Zola. He plays... Um... Oh, no, you're right. Oh, God, what's his name now? Zola... Uh, Aaron Zemo. That's it. Aaron I knew it was again with it. Zola is what's-his-face. Zola is Toby Jones. Toby Jones, yes. Yeah. But I mean, Brule like went from this to, and again, we're going to laugh at this, but we might as well laugh at this. He went from this to co-lead in the Fifth Estate. Do we remember the Fifth Estate? Have All I even? Right. No, I haven't yeah. watched the Fifth was Estate. Was that with um, Benedict Cumberbatch? I'm so glad yes. you said that because um, I was going to say like the less family-friendly version of Stain that always <laughs> jumps into my head every time. You think yeah. It. No, um, no, I'll tell you afterwards because this okay. is a family podcast. Okay. <laughs> he says after we've been swearing mercilessly. And talking about people riding constantly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he did stuff like that. He did... Um, he yeah. made that really unfortunate... Um, Woman in Gold. Um, movie about that... What was the it? The Alienist, Am- the TV show The Alienist. No, the, what was... What's and that one's uh, name in Italy? Amanda, Amanda Knox. He made that really unfortunate movie about that too. The Kate Face Beckinsale. of an Angel, was yeah, it? That was really bad. Yeah. So, He's I mean, not yeah. one of Daniel's finest. He, mo- he was in a Most Wanted Man with Bill Seymour Hoffman as well, which was was it Hoffman's last role as well? Was it? Most Maybe Wanted it was. Man? I think it might have been anyway. But again, like this was for Brule was like his first lead in an English language film anyway, and it's quite an impression, which is you know, and I think that he's very, very, very good in this. He's very good in everything. Yeah. Nobody's going to watch this though and think. Um... We should put him in a movie where he's not a German. <laughs> um, we should put him in a lighthearted comedy. I think yeah. he'd be great in a lighthearted yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, if he can play an Austrian, <laughs> he can probably play a guy from Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my God, I want to see a Western with Daniel Brühl as a good old boy. Um, I would watch a Western with Daniel Brühl as a good old boy. But uh, Hemsworth as well, because this was sort of Hemsworth's big one after Thor, because he did Thor in 2011. So this was kind of... Before again, not Like, what has he gone on? No, no, it was 2011. It was the year before Avengers. Because uh, they did... a Breakout. Like, they, he's kind of... I don't know if, if either of them were any, like, bigger after. after doing this. Well, that's the thing, is that, like, do... They've both done big things and continued to do sort of big things, but they yeah. haven't, like, kind of shot into the... Um, uh, uh, Cultural public, stratosphere, yeah. so to speak. I mean, yeah, well, this is, this is a discussion about whether or not movie stars as they used to exist exist now whether you can make a star today that is equivalent to tom cruise or will smith in the 90s pick which, an example which asshole said this <laughs> i love that that's a great line which asshole said this <laughs> his eyes darting across the room um, i do like that uh, apparently the vote was actually much closer than that much closer oh, yeah. than we made it look to be to be clear 
Um, and apparently, yes, it was. It was apparently Hontu swung it in the end. Uh, quite literally, I think it came down to a single vote. Isn't that just typical? Yeah. Well, I mean, but then you don't get to do the, see, Nikki, it helps if sometimes people like you. Then you won't get your face burnt off. I hope you learned a lesson, Nikki. Jesus, Mary and Holy Saint Joseph. <laughs> I absolutely love the sequence where, uh, where Hunt is like, you know, I feel like I pushed you to race, and if you hadn't have raced, you wouldn't have been in an accident. If you weren't in an accident, you wouldn't have had your face burnt off. So I feel a little bit like this is my fault. And Lauda, like, you you know, like, that moment's like a forgive me moment. And Lauda's no, like, but, no, but, it like, is your fault. Lauda, yeah, but Lauda is kind of conciliatory with yes. him. But it's also less like, yes, it was, it was, it was very much your fault. Um, <laughs> Just so yes, we're clear on this. Yes, that is correct. Um, <laughs> and, and you were wrong. Um, but also, um, I should give you some credit, because uh, if it weren't for you, then I wouldn't have got back in the car. <laughs> Um, I, I love the uh, the scene you where... You were just as instrumental in getting me back in the car. <laughs> yes, there we go, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the scene where he's getting his lungs kind of drained, Dang. like he's fixing his car. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 we, we can... More. We can get, yeah. like, more out of... Uh, out, out of me in this particular sitting, yeah. Grace really enjoyed that. Ew. Well, I mean, it, it's, it is, it's the moment I wince watching that sequence as well, and I'd seen it before. It's the body horror sequence. Anything to do with burning is just not ideal in terms of levels of gross injuries. And gunge. Gunge. Coming from people. Yeah, like the Jesus, the close up of the gunge. Oh, as it's like draining in the little circle, but it's red as well, so they're getting blown. They show all of the different kind of like journey it's taking. (laughs) I told you, that's Ron Howard. He's very interested in people. Is Lauda also a machine that just needs optimizing? (laughs) (laughs) Foot, 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 foot. Like with all this stuff, kind of. Yeah, but, but I, I like that. Yeah, Ron. Howard a lesser a... director might have cut to a shot of James Hunt riding someone crying, <laughs> <laughs> thinking about how awful Nicky Lauda's life is now. Like, when you say lesser director, do you mean Andrew? Um, I love that. Andrew's... Andrew, I'm sure would have made a very artistic, tasteful <laughs> piece okay. out of that sequence. Yeah, you, yeah. Shot it in black and white. Yeah. <laughs> you come from the doctor working the pump, cutting straight. Anyway, never mind. But um, I like that, yeah. Even... What a smash cut. <laughs> yeah. Iconic. <laughs> the audience can't look away. Um... <laughs> people just get we up from like the stand <laughs> and clap. Yeah. 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 No, people walk out not because they're horrified, but because they just can't take it. It's just too much. Um, but uh, again, there's that element of sort of process there as well. And even the fact that, yeah, that Lauda sort of gets those 50 points by disqualifying Hunt because the wheels are a, a centimeter and a half apart or further apart than they should be. But I love I love the sheer level of pedantry involved <laughs> yeah. in that. That is exactly like something I would do. Like you did not include a comma here, so you should die. Exactly. <laughs> like, he keeps saying, "Well, your car was illegal." And, um, yeah. uh, if you knew how to follow the rules, we just wouldn't be in this situation, <laughs> yes. there, James. It's hilarious that you're calling me a cheater, and you you had an illegal car. <laughs> <laughs> and again, any other movie that would be like the villain move, like. Yeah. The heroes would have to go back to the drawing board and they'd be like, how do we beat this big company? This sort of like the number one who sort of like come in and try to swindle us out of our hard work. Whereas here... This is the American dream, Thomas! <laughs> yeah, to be able to cheat. That's yeah. what we fought for. That's what we died for. But Wait, I love there are that. no Americans in this movie? 
That's actually interesting. Yeah, there are. It's a funny one as well because it's a very un-American sport. Yes. Formula One, yeah. 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 As you pointed out, like NASCAR would be the alternative. That was one of the reasons. Which is crazy. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like seriously, yeah. it's 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 a bit it's a bit bizarre that kind of NASCAR is the thing. It's the one for one that people yeah. like. Yeah. It's like the Onion video where there is then NASCAR kind of like coach who's in the ear of the drivers and he's like, go straight, go straight, go straight, go straight, turn left, go straight, go straight, go straight, turn left. Um, okay, you're going to go straight for a while. Keep going straight. Now turn left again. They have to have their own bastardized version of whatever well, the superior is, yeah, original was. Like American football is a pathetic sport. Like that they just, just they watched the game of soccer, they watched the game of rugby, they thought they'd combine the two and create something that's both stupid and boring. Like we're gonna get a lot of hate. We're gonna get a lot of aggressive hate. <laughs> <laughs> Drop them into the middle of a hurling match and see how much fun they have. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's worth noting as well, actually, when we when we're talking about like the burdens and like the stuff like that. Brule joked that like he came to empathize with Lauda's sort of like frustration with Hunt. Or the character's frustration with Hunt, uh, because he felt the same frustration towards Hemsworth. Because every morning, uh, Brule would have to be picked up at 3 a.m. to get his prosthetic makeup done. Aww. He'd sit in a chair for six to seven hours, he'd look at his call sheet, and Chris Hemsworth would be picked up at 10 a.m., and his first scene was having sex with Natalie Dormier. Second scene was making love on a plane with a stewardess. My first scene was changing the tires on my car. <laughs> that's why we hired you daniel you're such a good sport yeah. um, five hours putting on the prosthesis and it's like I, can we take that off we're going to reshoot um but yeah and actually is it like i think that the film works very well in terms of building that tension as you point out the climax of the film is actually surprisingly tense i didn't know anything about uh hunt and Lauda before i went into the film i didn't know anything about <laughs> The accident that occurred on like they call it the graveyard in the film but it's actually called the green hell in real life that's the kind of race course where the car exploded no and, it's, the it's germany is it not the german sorry yeah, yeah Nuremberg. sorry um what am Which i thinking there's another sequence in almost the same thing oh it's the same yeah. Canada. i mean daniel brule could be playing a canadian for all we know right his accent is just sorry perfect. um the but, ring is a notoriously awful oh yeah circuit yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they, they mention in the... Chicanes. They he, mention, he says that in the movie, though, in fairness. He's like, who designed this? It's a death trap. <laughs> like, it takes ideal conditions to drive safely. To be even remotely acceptable. Yeah. But I mean, like... And he also points out that, like, the start of every season, you have 25 drivers, two of which will die. Now, it has gotten safer since, I think... Oh, was yeah. It, was it 90 or was it 2000? There was basically a turning point, apparently, at some point where the sport got oh, safe. Ayrton Senna got yeah. killed pretty grossly he, was he the last driver to die in that sort of fashion to die i think so didn't michael schumacher have like quite a serious he did but oh, that but was that not skiing. that was skiing yeah, yeah it wasn't when he was racing the irony of like spending your whole life participating well participating leading in a sport that's incredibly dangerous and then to be laid up by an injury like that well in your free time um, like it, partaking in another sport that's incredibly dangerous mm. uh, I guess like people think of skiing as kind of like oh uh, wait a minute wait a minute we have we have we have Jules Bianchi Machine. he died in July 2015 but that was nine months after sustaining head injuries during yes. the Grand Prix in terms of the last person to actually die on the spot that was Ayrton Senna that was Senna yeah in 1994 
Um, so yeah, so like, yes, there was. Um, Inachi died several months after the fact, but he did. He was injured uh, fatally during the during the actual race as well. To be clear, but yes, the sport has got a lot safer. Particularly if you look at the statistics about sort of fatal injuries, like if you look at the seventies, um, Piers Courage passed away in June nineteen seventy. That same season, you lost uh, you lost uh, Jochen Rint. Uh, then in 1973, you lost... Are, you, are we actually going through a segment of the show where Darren reads people's foreign names? Okay. Uh, in a, <laughs> particularly in a serious context as well. That's fair, I suppose. But yeah, like if you go through, you will see that there are... I was are... going to do that when we had our 18 hour podcast. Yeah. I was going to give you a big list <laughs> so of people's far. names to pronounce. <laughs> and see what we could hit on. Uh, okay, fine. We probably we shouldn't go through them all. But there are... Like, if you look through the list of Formula 1 fatalities, there are a lot of them in the 70s. Mm. And again, Lauda states that, like, statistically, two of them won't finish. And there are several years where two of the racers didn't finish. So 1982, to pick an example. 1994, where Senna was the last one to die. 1973, 1970, 1959 had two. 1958 had four. 1957 you would, had I two. can only imagine what kind of cars they were driving in the 1950s. Yeah. Though. Now but I realise I should have let you read out the names. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to yeah. you. Uh, uh, rhyme off that some things. I mean, I think there's been a lot of quite quite horrific crashes over the years, but not yeah. all of them have been fatal. Yeah, the, the sport has gotten significantly safer since yes. the late 70s when this is set as well. But I think it, it, the film... Does I don't see how, actually. How like, you could make it safer. Because I mean, you're driving something yeah. that's fast. Well, it's so fragile. It's to do with the, the way the car has been reinforced and the way, yeah. like, I think they've changed certain aspects about how it's driven. Possibly right. also. Um, and that has done something for it. Because I feel like back in the day, they were just literally driving, like, a bomb. <laughs> well, yeah, a boxcar racer with 500 horsepower, yeah, basically. And, and didn't put a lot of thought into, like... I mean, if you think about even, like cars that people like everyday cars that people were driving back in the day were pretty hey, like I, well, I mean like the safety improvements that were made following Senna's death apparently improved in, included improved crash barriers wall? yeah yeah improved yeah. crash barriers redesigned tracks higher crash safety standards uh, such as the larger sills along the driver cockpit of a car mm -hmm. major cuts to engine powers as well uh, parts of circuitry were altered as well um, and that sort of things were done basically to, to make the, as you pointed out, to make the cars less powerful, yes. but also to structurally reinforce them and to ensure that the tracks were designed. And so, yeah, to reinforce the structure. The track, track was the big one. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. yeah. like having a concrete wall, like it doesn't matter yeah. Yeah, what, what car you're in. If you hit a concrete wall at the speed you're going, yeah, you're going to be, you know, yep. it's going yep. To, yep. to be hugely dangerous. And again, like it's one of the things that I think Rush does rather well and again, like, it's remarkable for the, the final act of this. Andrew pointed out that, like, you're in a situation where you're almost rooting for both of them, where you don't yeah. want one of them to win over the other. But it's it's also, the film is structured in such a way as to allow both of those characters to have a victory. Where, like, Hunt wins the prize that he's wanted, which is he gets to beat Lauda at the sport. And he gets to be world champion. Yeah, and Lauda <laughs> literally says that was enough for him. That was all that mattered to Hunt. Not in a dismissive way. And like it's very clear that he has a great deal of affection for him yeah. and like even his final speech is like come back because I need you to make me better mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a compliment I guess no it is a compliment but no, it's I a very loud a compliment um, but like for Lauda he has the victory of finding his own limits and walking away of adhering to his principles of like setting that percentage that 20% risk threshold and sticking to it of understanding mm -hmm. and putting his own safety first and of deciding that for him 
life outside of the race is as important as winning the race itself, which is a moral victory for his character from his perspective, Mm -hmm. which I think is a remarkable, you know, so Grace alluded to this being the great Ron Howard skill. It's the bit where you sit down at a dinner table and it's like, well, everybody here gets a prize. Everybody here has a fair point. Did we all learn something today? Yeah. Rush has this sort of ability where it ends in such a way that like both of its primary characters, despite being like in opposition and measured against one another, both get their own victories, you know, symbolically or literally. And yes. Mario Andretti as well. <laughs> yeah. Because he won the race. Yeah. Um, he was less of a character. He was much bigger <laughs> yeah. in the initial cut of the film. was like, seriously. <laughs> um, I don't matter. I'm not here. Just, just continue. Just, just pretend me. Yeah, just pretend I'm not here. Uh, but yeah, I kind of like, I like that the film is structured. Mario and probably like Jackie Stewart, maybe like <laughs> better second. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's all this fuss about Hunt? Um, but I like that the film gives these characters, like, is structured in such a way that they both get what they wanted. Because there's a mm-hmm. tendency with these narratives to have like victors and, and sort of winners and losers. Like, I mean, even if you look at the other Peter Morgan scripts, for example, Frost Nixon, you know, is like Frost Nixon is one of the best college movies ever because it's about this punk kid who goes to like he's got this big assignment that's due and he decides to party all the time until his teacher tells him there's no way you'll pass this test at which point he knuckles down and studies and he passes that test um but like frost nixon has a clear victory for frost mm-hmm. um whereas this is is very much like both of them walk away both of them get what they want in a way that illuminates both of them by the way it's, it's worth noting louder in real life, went into owning an airline afterwards as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I absolutely love the sequence where he's like, I thought you were going to wax lyrical about the romance of flying. And he's like, no, it's good for discipline. You have to follow the rules up there. It's very important. Yeah. Safety first. That's a, a very European movie in this sense, where it's like, we can appreciate each other's differences and live alongside one another and succeed in equal but different ways. Yeah. We, this doesn't have to be a winner-takes-all approach where one person is objectively completely right and the other person's a gobshite. Like, yeah, it's not a zero-sum game. Unlike yeah. you Americans with all of your I'm bollocks. definitely not an Austrian, but I... Of Austrian friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I respect those yeah. friends. And I respect their approach. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go on a jet with these beautiful moments. Um, <laughs> um, I kind of like that that's, like, I know that's what James Hunt was like, but I kind of like that he's one of these people that once he's achieved something, he's like, I'm done here. Like, yeah, now I need something else to do. I mean, that, that's like, I that. never want to improve. I just have to prove to myself I could do it this once. <laughs> and now I need something else to do. Because, like, that's a particular personality type that well, I think is is quite... Yeah. Almost admirable. After. Yeah, it is. Even but, like, now, now there's room for somebody else. Yeah, if, yeah. if it hadn't been for, for Lauda. Yeah, like something really pushing him over the edge. Mm. Yeah. To kind of, you know, go from Formula 3 to Formula 2 to maybe Formula 1 having having the uh the f- fun uh jerseys that say sex the breakfast and champions <laughs> yeah. um like yeah driving the white driving yeah. themselves and yeah. then it's like this guy is really pissing me off yeah, yeah. it's um, like i just have like just this just this particular itch and i'm just gonna keep going until i scratch it but i mean even even that like even the sequence at the end set to bowie's fame um which in any other movie would be like your mm-hmm. your sort of second act moment where the character is yes. like at their at their low point. It's like the moment at which the film goes, "Gee, being famous is sometimes tough." Have you seen you've seen the Bash Brothers? Have you? Yes. It's like the wiggle your butt sequence <laughs> in yeah in the Bash Brothers. It's like being famous is tough. 
lot of people ask us to wiggle our butts. Mm -hmm. um, like the same montage in any other sports movie would be the point at which like Hunt does this stuff and then goes to his matches. You need me to. You need to get me back in the game. But I'm I not a show pony, damn it. I like that Ron Howard kind of accepts that not everyone has to be a Ron Howard. Yeah. <laughs> there are other kinds of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are the Henry Winkler. Yeah. Ron Howard, the great diplomat. Yeah. It's like, okay, now we've heard from you. Would you like to add something to this conversation? But yeah, and I like that. Like, it's not portrayed as something. It is crass and it is a little silly, but it's not like something like a so huge failing. The movie never looks down its nose at Hunt. Yeah. Like even when he's doing this stuff, there's a sense that maybe he's a bit confused and doesn't have a sense of purpose. But like even Lauda's like closing monologue is like, yeah, he got to be a TV presenter. He got to be a radio presenter. He found his feet again, you know? And I was really sad when he, he passed away. And he went away. out yeah. happy. Yeah, that's it exactly. It's not like, well, he lived the rest of his life as a bitter failure of a shell of a man yeah, yeah, yeah. because he wasn't like I was. Because yeah. I was, as you point out, because I was the right way to be. It's like the um, person doing, uh, like delivering room service to George Best. And he's like in the the bedroom with um, like Miss World or something like this and a whole lot of like champagne bottles. And, he, and he's like, George, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's no moment like that in the film. Or that I... bit in Bohemian Rhapsody where he's just driving around London looking for that guy who told him, like, whenever you, like, get the awesome. over yourself, come look me up. <laughs> You're just like, this is just so low. Why must we degrade a dead person in this way? Macho Rob Delaney uh, is how I sort of tend to think of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's actually quite a good comparison but yeah and I love the idea that it's like Live Aid was held up while Freddie Murphy was knocking on you know there are 17 people with your name in the phone book and they're very far apart yes this has been a very long morning um, but yeah so there's no moment like that there's no moment whereas yeah whereas there's no point where it's like he has to get himself together or he has to find purpose or he has to find meaning yeah it's like no this is as you pointed out it's very forgiving in the way that like Olivia Wilde's character is forgiving where it's like look this is who James Hunt is. Yeah. This is the way that he was. We're not going to judge him or moralize about Should him. We? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it exactly. So I think that there's some value in that. I think that mm. gives Rush a bit of an edge over... Yeah. And we pointed to Bohemian Rhapsody as an example of this as well. But I mean, a lot of biopics do this, where it's like the character has to lose their way in order to be found again. Yeah. Whereas this is like... Well, he had his ups and downs. He, you know, he shilled for Formula One. He shilled for like Formula One product placement. But he also rode around life. in a jet. Yeah, he also <laughs> rode around in a private jet and was perfectly content with no himself. No part of that movie where I was like feeling sorry for James Hunt. No, like not, not at all. Because I think the way it portrays him is that he himself is completely unapologetic. He's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do this. This yeah. is why yeah. this is a means to an end for wherever I'm at currently, and I am perfectly okay with that. Like that's a very human, like natural way to be. And I think we've all, especially as a society, but certainly just in terms of the reductive way a lot of film stories are told, gotten into the habit where like somebody has to like behave a certain way or act a certain way or like just be really like moralized in some particular fashion yes, yeah. in order to achieve something instead of being like this is just inherently who they are and it was yeah. a fundamental part of why they succeeded at this thing that they yeah. succeeded it doesn't make like you don't need to yeah. fit them into some like preordained yeah. mold that we've deemed acceptable to say well maybe they were super talented but they still had to learn all of this like yeah. you and me yeah and like, he's been sober 
Yeah. And hasn't got the ride for the last 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Basically, live the life of a end. monk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mind of a monk, body like a temple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> you too could succeed yeah. by giving up everything that gives you joy. Kids, you must understand that you won't have any fun by drinking and having sex. And <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. Never. And if they, if they do, it's only short-lived and they find yeah. their way back to the right way to live eventually. And I, I, I like that the film doesn't take that moralistic yeah. tone. Yeah. And again, like, it's, it's almost... But the... it makes them seem more like real people yeah. then, instead yeah. of just like like templates that we squashed into a mold that fits yeah. the story we're trying to tell. But there's a lot of... Like, it's, it's not a very... Um, in some ways, it's a very kind of unconventional movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which again, despite and, like having nominally a conventional framework, because it's a it's a sports movie about rivalry. Yeah. It's about a rivalry, but it's not about it, it's about both sides of that yeah. rivalry. It's 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 not about kind of like the mighty ducks trying to beat like the obviously better team. <laughs> yeah. uh, the evil you know. Icelandic people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I, again, I, I think there's and it's that's a reflection of like we talked about it a lot about how it presents louder as somebody who would be a villain in another more conventional narrative. Like, I think even its approach to Hunt, as we pointed out, is the flip side of that, where it's like, it doesn't treat Hunt as somebody who has to be moralized or pathologized or or fixed. That's it, exactly. Mm -hmm. He's a person. He's fully formed. This is who he is and what he does, and it's a large part of his identity. And, you know, maybe some of that, you know, isn't in dark. His darkness is getting married. (laughs) (laughs) His dark spot is being forced to conform to, like, heteronormative ideals. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. the bit when he actually listens to his team and it's like, they're right about most things. They're probably right about this. Yeah, and yeah. then that turns out to be a massive disaster for all involved. Mm-hmm. I want to say briefly the the, the um, uh, music is great. Um, oh, yeah. Ron Zimmer's score, yes. Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Ron, <laughs> Ron Zimmerman. <laughs> Hans Zimmer has done a lot of scores for um, Ron Howard. Yeah. And, and Zimmer so is, is fantastic in general. There's a yes, moment that sounds a the lot closest like thing you're going to get to a rock star in the form of a film, film composer. composer yeah. mm. Is that like a wonderful use of bass as well, sort of percussive? I do like Glass, but I couldn't describe him as kind of a rock star. Really. Uh, you know, um, what's that joke? I like that Philip Glass piece. Which Philip Glass piece? All of them. Um, which is a bit reductive, but I do there, quite like There it. are some uh, very kind of samey uh, Philip Glass um, uh, bits. Like, I was listening to his uh, score to, what was it, Jane? Was it the, was that what it was called? Which Did one? Did you do like a Jane Goodall kind of um, Like Gorillas in the Mist? No, that's not or Jane no. Goodall, that's Diane Fossey. You should excuse. Philip Glass scored um, a Jane Goodall documentary. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, but it, but if you've listened to called um, Jane, by the way, it was literally just called Jane. Exactly, but it, li- listening to that, there's so many songs that were lifted from other kind Philip of class. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, very little different. Like they're they're great and everything, but like if you you can you can compare Mishima to to like Koyaanisqatti, and they're very are like Einstein on the beach. Yeah, and they're very different. But then you listen to something like Jane. And it's like, oh yeah, he's taken little bits from... Um, yeah, that's prophecy that he's yeah, using, yeah, that's yeah. ego, that sort of stuff. I mean, like, to be fair, even Zimmer has been known to do that. Like, there are moments in this oh, that yeah. are very similar to Time. From, yeah. yeah. From Inception. Like, I think there was a moment where I realised it was a Hans Zimmer score. Yeah. He which, does have... Least, he has a sound, though, that comes through very clearly yeah. in terms of the way it's produced and the instrumentation that he uses. But, like, 
I think Hans Zimmer every now and then just has like a stroke of genius and then he incorporates bits of that genius into whatever he's doing for a while thereafter and then he has another stroke of genius because like you yeah. can you can almost measure it out in terms of the phases so like he made the Lion King Lion King is great then you move forward a couple of years and you get Gladiator which is iconic yeah. then you move forward another few years and you get Pirates of the Caribbean and you move forward another few years you get like Batman Begins and it's just mm. like like every now and then he just sort of goes oh yeah. And like, like erupts yeah. something brilliant. Yeah. And we're gonna get literal variations yeah. on a theme. Sometimes he'll like. I think with with Nolan and like a little bit with this, he has that kind of very Zimmery kind of thing in a weird way, that that works. Like repeating those kind of themes for his what you call it Nolan movies works because he's like this stylistically fits a Nolan movie yes it's a very in the same way that like you can, you can visually see it's a Nolan movie yeah. the music should probably be in the Nolan mold yeah. right. you know yeah. like well, and if it literally like sounds Danny, like a clock like clockwork well, I mean Danny <laughs> Elfman with like Tim Burton the, movies yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like where he's like yeah it's gonna be just a little bit wacky and it should be noted actually it's been uh, as like other people point out I'm trying to think of the, the YouTube video on it but there was one that explored like one of the things is that a lot of musicians these days are told to use temp tracks uh, mm-hmm. sorry, because like when directors are cutting scenes they're often cutting them to temp tracks they fall in love with the temp tracks and so what you have is composers being told to do something like this mm-hmm. so write a piece of music like this and Danny yeah. Elfman has been like I've worked on films where I've been told make music that sounds like your music from this other film and it's like yeah. And it's like, actually, I have my own... Shut up and make the music, Danny. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure that probably happens with Glass, yeah. too. Yeah. Where it's like... How did we get onto a conversation with <laughs> But You uh, make I mean, something... Uh, yeah, have this one sound a little bit like... Yeah, uh, or even, even Zimmer, maybe, has yeah. a similar conversation around that as well. Uh, but in terms of uh, Rush, is there anything wow. else you want to talk about? <laughs> the Inception button. He is, he is entirely to blame for, like, the... Mm, that's just like, infected every trailer since then. Well, I mean, to be fair, we moved on. We've now got slow, creepy covers of pop, upbeat pop songs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the unnerving indie version to go, yeah. like... Like, I blame Suicide Squad for that with I Started a Joke. They, they, they did it as well for Fifty Shades of Grey with the mm-hmm. um, horror movie version of uh, Crazy in Love. <laughs> Which is very in keeping with Fifty Wait, Shades who of did, Grey. Wait, who did that version the- of that? Um, I'm not sure. No, I feel like I can hear it in my head. I'm trying to think of it. Was it The Weeknd by any chance? It was not The Weeknd, surely. Oh, fine. Um, Okay, we're going to go to the fact machine and check. Beyonce. Oh, wait, no, hold Beyonce. on. It is a Beyonce song. <laughs> well done, Darren. No, it, it's, it's a remix of the Beyonce version, apparently, according to the fact machine, which I am holding in the palm of my hand. Is there anything about who did the remix? Um, we're going back to the fact machine. We're back from the fact machine. It's uh, R&B singer Miguel. Hmm. Do any of us know the R&B singer Miguel? I can't say that I do. Okay, but he is apparently I definitely, I know this version of it, though. Yes. Yeah. Well, he used it for the Fifty Shades Darker trailer, actually, yeah. which is why the fact machine brought back Beyonce for Do you know what that's Shades like, though? That's like somebody listened to Beyonce cover Back to Black for Gatsby and then was like, we need to do this, <laughs> but like a with Beyonce. a Beyonce song. And that's how we got that version of Crazy in Love. Pop culture is literally eating yeah. itself. Yeah. We need to Beyonce that Beyonce song. But is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with Rush? 
A wedding? A wedding? <laughs> <laughs> what I should have said that. <laughs> I feel like Daniel Brühl should have gotten awards for this. Yes, and I feel like Brühl maybe hasn't had the best career afterwards despite getting a much higher profile. As you point out, his choice... I don't know whether they're his choices or his agent's choices or just the roles that are offered to him in the first I, place. I think he ticks along well enough, though, because he's got a lot of, like, indie street cred to his name. Yeah. So it's like every now and then he just kind of pops up in something much more high profile to get a few extra zeros and then, then he goes back to what he does best. But I just remember watching The Fifth Estate and, like, I'm, I'm a fairly easy guy when it comes to films. I'm I love that you think that you are. I'm generally <laughs> quite forgiving. I will excuse a movie a lot. And I just remember... Somebody rem- enjoyed it. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that person is or how anyone could enjoy it, but I'm sure they exist. Hey, 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 hey. Sorry, but that yeah, was a little mean. I came out of, yeah, I came out of the Fifth Estate and was like, what the hell just happened? Um, it's like, it is a staggeringly terrible film, even beyond the fact that it is Julian Assange's hero starring Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> And Daniel Brühl. Um, but I feel like... Like the social network. If somebody watched the social network and was like, Mark Zuckerberg got a bum rap in this movie. Yep. Yeah, why didn't they talk about... Uh, the, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, why yeah, has anyone mind. not considered how all of this affects Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. Like, that's, know, that's the what's question. wrong with you people? That's the question the Fifth Estate dares to ask with Julian Assange. But is there anything else we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at people? Well, I like the bloody hand. Like that. Oh, when he's yeah. driving because he's been holding yeah, yeah. it. It's at the climax. Where yeah, the, the um, part of the uh, stick has come off. Yeah. 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 So, so he's been okay. driving with his hand literally on the without the, yeah. without the plastic oh. rubber on top. Yep, there's your body horror again. And again, this sort of idea of the fusion of man and machine. Ron Howard, body horror director. Where Andrew's like, that engine is totally like a metaphor for screwing, right? And it's Even like, Ron Howard has had sex. Yeah, I but know I mean, it's tough for some of you yeah. too. To Bryce Dallas them. Howard would seem to be proof of that. Yes, he's, um, yeah, he's Bryce and Dallas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so, I'm so sorry, Ron Howard. I feel just incri- like I've just sunk to a low. I love by bringing this up. I, I'm like, like I like, I like, I'm a big fan of Ron Howard. To be fair, and I think that like he gets. The, <laughs> if I met Ron Howard, I would get so starstruck. Yeah, I just know it because I just feel like you're just. <laughs> I love you. But, you're a great person please like let us never find out anything awful about you well, that's it like i mean we, we joke about like the safe pair of hands and the lack of a strong stylistic sensibility but like the he's truth is that there are tom very hanks. few yeah he's oh. a tom hanks of directing yeah which is why apollo 13 is probably such a great ron howard movie god i love tom hanks and why the the have you watched ron have you watched the the da vinci code movies I've seen, oh, yeah. he's also I've seen that's one. another combination of the two of the them. first one okay they're not good but, but I will say that like Inferno is a great things that your grandpa is terrified of movie, which is like the perfect combination of like middle-aged Tom Hanks and Ron Howard, where it's like Tom Hanks is a like rogue archaeologist who does things like return antiques to museums. He's not an archaeologist though, is he not like... Is historian, he's an art historian, isn't he? particular term for like studying symbols and it's not cryptology, it's something Symbology. Else. 
probably semiologist no I, I feel like it's kind of a distinct discipline and i'm sure there's probably some academic types out there suddenly just going but like, excuse but like you. the the end of inferno features like tom hanks's robert langdon character also the music have, is great having stolen like an artifact from the museum to help him solve a puzzle the ending sting of the movie is tom hanks sneaking the artifact back into the museum and like walking away as the guards try and figure out what's gone on with a smirk on his face because you can trust Tom Hanks and Ron Howard with your precious antique. They'll return it at the end of the movie. Yes, he's a Don't professor worry. of art history and symbology, ah. a fictional field related to the study of historic symbols, <laughs> which is not methodologically connected to the actual discipline of semiotics. This semiotics actually, being the study of sign process. I was going to say this. very happy that I said semiotics. Yeah, very Yay. nice. I, I said art history. Well done, everyone. Yeah. And I feel kind of, I feel like there's some shade there. It's not a real field, <laughs> just in case we're clear. But yeah, like, so Inferno has sequences where Tom Hanks is running through a park being menaced by, like, an Amazon drone. And we'll be talking about it next week. Let's let's be real here, though. You know, in John Wick 3, when John Wick pulverizes a seven-foot man with a library book and then returns that library book to the correct point on the shelf, nobody was taking the PISS out of him. So why are we being so harsh on Robert Langdon for carefully returning the item to the museum once he was done with it? And we're going to leave listeners Riddle to me that. that um, Darren is taking the... The, the, the hard line, Andy yeah, Howard yeah. stands here. And, like, you better be prepared. Like, maybe John Wick put that book back on the shelf, but did you miss the part where there's, like, teeth in it now? <laughs> that was actually exactly huh? what I was thinking. But yeah. anyway, this is... I want to see. I'm, 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 I'm upset that John Wick... Uh, three didn't make the list, because that's the only way we see movies now. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if people are looking for a bit more grace in their lives, and if you would like to recommend something for listeners that you're enjoying at the moment, it can be a film, a TV show, oh, it no. can be Ron Howard related. Oh, I have a TV Ron show to recommend. Yeah. So if people are looking for a bit more grace, and if you'd like to recommend something for them, what would it be? Well, you can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Pixie Grace. And if you were looking for more joy in your life, you should watch Kim's Convenience on Netflix, which is about a, a like, basically, what do they call it? convenience shop he has the clues on the title convenience store, yeah. convenience store in toronto that's owned by a korean uh canadian family it is hilarious and heartwarming and wonderful and you should watch it and for me um i'd say i mentioned earlier the, i recommend the, symbology the, yes, <laughs> the field of symbology semiotics yeah. uh, um great field very evolving <laughs> And um, if uh, I, I I think I mentioned it, Damned United earlier on. Michael Sheen. Um, exactly. Also, ESPN made some decent uh, documentaries. They're uh, 30, they made the OJ 30 for Simpson 30. One, didn't they as well? I'm not sure. Was that one of them? Okay. But they 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 have a 30 for 30. I think maybe I've mentioned this one before. They they one one. It was like 30 documentaries that they made. I think for their kind of 30th. I guess anniversary of, of, of Worth noting of by the way that the Network. Damned United was written by Peter Morgan as well to bring that connection. So does David back. Pierce. Oh uh, sorry, he David, wrote the screenplay. He wrote the screenplay, yeah. Okay. It's based on the Damned United the book by David Pierce, yeah. And if you're David check Pierce. if you're checking out Thirty for Thirty, which I think is on Netflix, um I'd recommend the Two Escobars, which is a story about um Andrew Escobar, who was the captain of the nineteen ninety four Colombian uh, national t- uh, team and Pablo Escobar. The, uh, oh, the, the drug dealer. Colombian drug dealer, yeah. That's an interesting one. The reason you all know the name yeah. Escobar. Yeah. Um, 
And then for myself, you can follow me at Darren underscore Oni. I would recommend, actually, it seems like we're going with Peter Morgan here, which feels like a, a little kick. Sound, in the... sounds like Dara underscore. <laughs> um, you do say it impressively is, quickly. Underscore is my middle name. No, it's you Darren cruel parents. underscore Mooney. Uh, but anyway, uh, and where the underscore is the character underscore. Um, just in case, you know, you no, want to be Darren besides Darren underscore Mooney. Uh, I'm not sure they can, I'm not sure they can see the, the, the air quotes. Yes, they can. <laughs> <laughs> this is an interactive medium. Yeah. But yeah, um, it, seems, it seems like we're on a Peter Morgan role here. As I will recommend uh, the Deal Trilogy with Michael Sheen again as Tony Blair. Um, they're absolutely fascinating. The special relationship is a bit of a let down with Dennis Quaid as Bill Clinton because apparently Morgan felt that he couldn't. Because Dennis Quaid is Bill Clinton. I mean, uh, yeah. Odd. That's well. First of all, it's an odd choice that you're we doing can a, Tony, that. A, a Tony Blair U.S. president partnership special relationship film, and your choice is Bill Clinton. But apparently, Morgan felt that he literally couldn't write dialogue for George W. Bush, so he was like, "Damn it, okay, all right, fine. all right." Then you go back. That's how we're gonna do this. But I would recommend the trilogies. I think the deal is great. I think the queen is fantastic. I think the special relationship is also interesting of itself and well worth a look. Um, and then I would also recommend his other contribution with Ron Howard, which is Frost Nixon. And obviously all the Ron Howard movies that we mentioned in this podcast already. Willow. Beautiful yeah. mind. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Right. Solo. <laughs> Frost Nixon. Alden Ehrenreich is great, you guys. Um, all right. We'll be back next week uh, when myself and Andrew will be talking about Holmes and Watson. Take it easy. Bye. 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 That Godspeed was for you. <laughs>